0: author, activist, educator, MC, someone who is a writer for our community. He is for our people, y'all. That's right, Mr. Tyson Amir. He is going to be the guest on my upcoming episode of Real Reading Talk. And this is a show that you do not want to miss. Please stay tuned. Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of Real Reading Talk. I am your most gracious host, Miss Sasha. And with Real Reading Talk, I discuss the real systemic issues that are at the very core, the very foundation, as to why there are low levels of literacy in the black community and the ways in which we can combat these issues together. All right, y'all, just like I told you, season three. All right, this is episode 21, season three. And I said, as much as I possibly can, I want to make sure that I bring on dope black authors. All right. And this brother right here, this dope brother that I just literally uh, not too long ago uh, found out about, um, not only is he a dope black author, he is an MC, okay? And an activist, creator of a curriculum as well, y'all. Educator out there just doing the thing, okay? And he is out of the Bay Area. So I would love to welcome Mr. Tyson Amir to Real Reading Talk.
1: Thank you. Thank you so very much for that introduction, for the invitation. And yeah, we just, we still getting to know each other, right, but I appreciated you reaching out. And then as I did a little bit of, of research on your work and, you know, asked you some questions, I'm like, oh, for sure, I, I love what you represent and I love what you you stand up for in our community. And so without any hesitation i was like whatever you want whatever you want to do i'll jump on a podcast i'll come out there to cleveland you know what i'm saying what you want well what's what's happening because it's so important for us to be involved in the work in our community for our people and i see you as somebody who's doing that that's the, the tradition that i come from from the community that raised me and so it only makes sense for us to collaborate for the sake of our people
0: I'm doing totally a That's what I'm talking about. Y'all, this, this is about to be dope, y'all. I know y'all feel that energy, right? Uh, this this is awesome. So, first things first, the formalities. We want to know your background. All right. Like, of course, I said you're from the Bay Area, but you, you know, you're gonna tell it, you know what I'm saying? Where you from, and you know, more about yourself. You
1: have that. I appreciate that. So I throw I thought up the W, you feel me? Because I'm from the West Coast, I'm from Cali born and raised, California native and from the Bay Area. And anybody that has some knowledge of the Bay Area, or if you don't, I'll run a quick geography for you. So I'm from San Jose. San Jose is considered the South Bay. San Jose is the largest city in the Bay Area, a million plus. The cities that are a little bit more well known from the Bay Area, you have San Francisco, of course, an international city, and a lot of history in San Francisco. And then you have Oakland. Oakland is the town. So we call San Francisco the city. We call Oakland the town, and San Jose. San Jose ain't really got a, a nickname. I mean, the area code is the 408. So those of us from San Jose, we say, you know, we, we represent the 408." And then it it's also the birthplace of what folks know as Silicon Valley. And so, when I was coming up, 80s, 90s, especially 90s, going into the 2000s, when what we're dealing with right now—the internet—how it was becoming more of a a consumer reality, or you know, manifesting in more homes for people so much of that stuff was born right there where i'm at the headquarters for apple computers is right on the border of san jose it's in cupertino which is like a suburb of san jose uh zoom which we're on right now the headquarters for zoom is in san jose facebook of course moved out to the south bay google which is now well facebook which is now meta google is out there um netflix is there i mean so much of what we think of and what we experience when it comes to the internet especially social media that's where it's at and that's there's so much money there too and this is not uh, a credential for San Jose or Silicon Valley because there's so much wealth there because that wealth was accumulated in a very violent way but anyway that's where I'm from and then the larger cultural experience of the Bay Area I'm also from that too it's it's it has its separate enclaves but it spills over into you know, all of the different regions. And so one of the one of the really powerful things that came from the Bay Area is just this political history from the Black experience. And so you'll see Black Muslim culture being very strong in the Bay Area. And in Black political culture, the Black Panther Party was founded in Oakland on October 15th, 1966, Huey P. Newton, Bobby Seale. And the legacy and the impact of the Black Panther Party is felt all throughout the Bay, all throughout California, all throughout the country and internationally. And so, yeah, I'm from that. I'm, I'm like thoroughly, thoroughly from the Bay Area cultural experiences. It's my foundation. And it's part of why I do what I do.
0: Mm, wow. You First of all, I appreciate you dropping all of that, those gems, that knowledge, that history, right? Because, number one, you have people in in, in my age group and you have definitely you have a lot of younger people as well um, who don't know that history you know, especially as it pertains to the Black Panther Party. And I love how you broke down to even just the whole aspect of Google and, you know, all of this, the, the technology that, you know what I'm saying, that we're utilizing throughout the day, all day long, you know what I'm saying, and how you broke that down. That right there was just thorough. So I appreciate you for that. So now I need to know, we all need to know in terms of your foundation in, in in your household, right? So, as it pertains to reading, what kind of a uh, culture was developed in your household? I'm I'm guessing that that you definitely had a household that was just filled with, you know what I'm saying, a lot of knowledge because the way you just spitting that off, you know what I'm saying, very confidently. So, but I want you to tell us, you know what I'm saying, from your I, mind.
1: I appreciate that. No, I'm thankful. I come from. I know I know my family history fairly well, at least on my father's side, and we can go back to late 1700s, early 1800s, and our people were here forcibly enslaved, and I use that instead of enslaved or as slaves, you know what I'm saying? Because language and the definitions, using black the history of the Black Panther Party, Huey P. Newton, co-founder of the Black Panther Party, he said, power is the ability to define phenomena and make it act in a desired manner. When... White folks and white supremacist society and imperialist colonial society defines our people as slaves. They're doing that intentionally, which strips them of their humanity. Nah fam, our people were forcibly enslaved and that force came through a violent institution that was predicated on oppression, imperialism, racism, white supremacy, all these other things. And so my people have been here for centuries and not only that they've been involved in righteous resistance to those oppressive unjust institutions for centuries as well so knowing that history and knowing what my ancestors did in order to fight back and to to reclaim their freedom and their their liberation and their um self-determination in a society that was constantly stripping them of that that that's an important part of the reading that was brought to me before actually looking at letter symbols. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like I was given a deep understanding of who I am and where I come from. And so a, a people like that, it don't matter what letter symbols are around them. Like if you have that, like I know who I am and I know what I come from, that's going to empower you anywhere you are. So like when we start getting more into, you know, my, my history and what I was exposed to because of Having that historical foundation and that having an influence on the people that you know helped raise me, you know, they gave me some stuff. They gave me some real knowledge, they gave me some powerful examples, even though we were trying to survive in the wilderness of North America, you know, and all of that, and all that that entails the, the poverty, the trauma, you know, the the realities of that. But my mother and father, they met in the Sacramento area. Sacramento is the capital of California. And this is mid to late 60s. They involved themselves in some of the social and the political movements of the 60s. My father in particular, he was running with um, members of the Black Panther Party in the Sacramento area. So I have an older sister, her and I, as we were being raised up, we were exposed to a lot of that political and revolutionary history. And not just like word of mouth, but through actual artifacts. Like I remember as a kid spending time reading old school Black Panther Party newspapers. They had the intercommunal news and I would just be flipping through those pages. And it just captivated me seeing these pictures, seeing the illustrations from uh, Emory Douglas and a lot of the other artists that were part of the Black Panther Party. And then just seeing powerful examples of Black people in those pages. So there was that. And then my mother... In particular, she was somebody who has been extremely influential for me as a connoisseur of literature because I don't know anybody for real, like, and this is not me trying to embellish in what I'm saying, I really don't know anybody who I saw read more than my mother. Like Every time I would see my mother, she had a book in her hand when I was a kid. She read you know, romance novels and a lot of other stuff like that. That was her thing. But then she also loved Black authors. So I was connected to the world of Black literature through my mother. You know what I'm saying? Like my father, he's a great example too, but my mom, she would just read and read and read. And then, like I told you, me being raised up in the Bay Area and the technology of the Bay Area, my mother, she was the first person I ever saw with a, a, like a digital book. This was probably like in the late 90s. You know what I'm saying? Like, I remember one day just looking at her and she had this device in her hand. I'm like, what's that? She's like, I'm, I'm reading a book. And, you know, I looked at it, it, was a screen and the words was on the screen. You feel me? I'm like, dang, fam, you know, she was, she was super high tech with it. You know, she was trying to get it however she could get it. I, I remember her doing audio books too, way back in the day too, before, you know, all of that stuff. But anyway, my mother, she introduced me to the world of black literature. For one of my birthdays, I don't remember which one it was, but I was I think early teens, maybe I was like 13 or something like that. She got me a gift. The gift was a book. And you know, gave me the thing. I, I, I unwrapped it. And the book was entitled Black Boy by Richard Wright. And she told me, she said, I think this is going to be a very important author for you. And this is a, I think this is going to be a very important book for you. At the time, I, I didn't know. I got, I just didn't have the the capacity to digest the material. You know, I tried to read through it. It was just, it was beyond me. So I had to come back to it years later. And when I did, everything that she said was, was correct. So we'll get into some of my literary work. So I have a book entitled Black Boy Poems. The reason why it's named Black Boy Poems is because I'm paying homage to, there we go. I'm paying homage to Richard Wright and his autobiography, Black Boy, because he's who inspired me to want to write. And my mother was correct. She knew. I, I don't know what she saw, you know, but as a parent, you, you know your child to a certain degree. She knew that that piece of literature, when I finally sat down and really gave it the attention that it deserved, would be transformative for me, and she was right. But she introduced me to so many different Black authors. And then my father, similar, you know, like we would be at Different events and, you know, being Black spaces and Naeem Akbar and, you know, uh, before the Mayflower. And I mean, so, so many works that France Fanon, because of the political and revolutionary tradition. Matter of fact, I I remember this was in the 90s, it was like 93, 94. um, Sister Elaine Brown, who's the only woman who ever was the leader of the Black Panther Party, her autobiography came out i remember we went to the bookstore to go grab that and like everybody in the house was fighting over trying to get time to read the book because it was such an important thing for us so literature in terms of like uh letter symbols but then literacy also in terms of being able to see and understand and read your people so being in places where that was happening um making sure that we were aware and present in social and cultural and political moments that were important so I remember um late 80s Nelson Mandela when he gets out you know like we were I remember as a kid we would be in the stores and we would look at stuff that were on the shelves and be like no nah, we don't buy that we don't buy that we don't buy that because we're boycotting these companies because they support apartheid in South Africa. So that was a literacy piece for me that was a a different type of reading and an understanding and you know you building that in the foundation of a child like oh no we don't do that we don't do that and then from where 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 i'm from as well like in the bay there's a there's a big mixture not to say that other cities are not diverse or other areas are not diverse but there's a big mixture of communities and so like the latino community mexicans um, el salvadorians hondurans guatemalans so folks from central america big, strong communities there, too. There was, and there still is, a big movement that was started by Cesar Chavez and Dolores Huerta, the United Farm Workers. And so these were folks who were combating the oppression that farm workers were experiencing who were being exploited for their labor in so many different ways. And there were multiple protests and boycotts. And so one of the big things that was happening before I was born and then into you know my life and my consciousness was we were boycotting grapes like you wouldn't buy grapes so in spanish we would say no uvas but you know just boycott grapes so then we'd be in the stores and see that now we don't buy that we don't buy that so there was stuff that was about south african apartheid there was stuff that was being in solidarity with other communities which was a part of my literacy as well i being able to understand okay okay so we don't only just stand up for ourselves we stand up for other folks too cool and that becoming like important foundational elements for me. And then of course, seeing things in video and film and song and other cultural artifacts, that's an important part of the literacy, the 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 learning and the reading for me. And then when I sat down with an actual text that had words, symbols on a page or on a screen, that stuff being important. And so my my community around me, my mother in particular, my father as well within the community around me. I mean, expose me to so much. And I think that's part of why, you know, I look and I sound the way that I do and I move
0: the way that I do. Brother, you are like a revolutionary's dream. I mean, it's like, seriously, I mean, these this right here, all the, the way you painted the picture, number one, you didn't just go into, oh, okay, yeah, you know, my my parents, they were, you know, they, you know, just start talking about how you were like, got maybe read aloud to or whatever. It, that was not what you did, which is great. I mean, you literally showed the process of how you got to that point, like you said, to the actual text. This right here, the, the gems that you're dropping is just absolutely phenomenal. And I really, it's like more and more, I'm like, Subhanallah, I'm like, I'm so glad that you accepted mm-hmm. the invitation of being on the show. I mean, because this, literally you encapsulate seriously, like what it is that I want our people to do in terms of creating that culture of literacy, like mm-hmm. how you talked about, I'm, and just so, just to be clear, when I'm looking down, I'm taking notes, you know what I'm saying? So I'm putting notes okay. on the phone as you're talking. Mm-hmm. So, So just like you said- being able to read your people. You know, yeah. that was something that you were taught. You know, we yeah. stand up for others too. Mm-hmm. You know, all of the, this message is so poignant because as we know what's happening right now, you know, in Gaza. You yeah. know, and it and it's like it's it's educating us as black people to understand, yeah, you know, we we understand that these may these aren't black folks in terms of you know people in our community. Mm-hmm. But the the commonality that we do have, we understand what this false notion of white supremacy is, you okay. know, we understand what that oppression is, you know, mm-hmm. and so anybody with any common sense, you know, understands that what's going on, you know what I'm saying, with our brothers and sisters there is extremely wrong and we know the root cause of it and I love the fact how you broke that down in terms of your, your, your roots, you know what I'm saying, your foundation you know, and, and this is literally what it is that I want people to start doing in their homes, Mm -hmm. having them literally just like how you painted the picture, not just having a book, but creating the reading experience.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Yeah.
1: We, we need to, we need to decolonize so much of what we're exposed to. So when I was on the the podcast that we connected through a few weeks ago, uh, Sister Sabria, shout out to her and her work. We talked a little bit about that. We talked about it in terms of relationships, like decolonizing the way that we understand our relationships. Fam, these people, this Western white supremacist world, these folks, they're not an example for us in anything that we should be following, as in we should be doing. If we do take them as an example, they're an example of what not to do. You know what I'm saying? And so. For them and their society, this is my analysis, so nobody else has to accept this, but I'm I'm perfectly fine with standing up for what I see and what I understand and what I believe. My analysis of them is that in order to try to give themselves a credential to justify their position, they become extremely literal literal when they want to. So they actually want to use letters and, you know, redefine stuff and give it. Weaponize the meanings for things, uh, but then of course, when they don't want it to apply to themselves, which is what we have going on right now. If you want to look at the situation in in Gaza, so you have these UN resolutions, you have international law, you have war crimes that they've defined themselves when they want to weaponize it against communities of color and countries and nations of color but when it comes back to them fam y'all are sponsoring the genocide oh no you know what i'm saying that ain't us it don't mean anything to us you feel me but that's them they want to they want to state the rules of the game in their favor so they want to put the stuff on paper and then weaponize that whenever they want and then whenever they feel that they don't need it to apply to themselves which is also a weapon they do that so they're very literal but that's not the only way that you read. We read more, you know what I'm saying? Like if we want to bring Islam into it, and we talk about the first revelation, right? And then you want to get deeper into that, read in the name of your Lord who created. Okay, fam. Right? We got we we got word symbols, and that's that you know, that's why I keep saying that these are these are symbols, they're they're just marks, they're squiggles, lines, and you know what I'm saying, shapes, whatever, right? So we define them to, this is an A sound, this is a B sound, this is a C sound, cool, whatever. That's a great technology that we've developed in the the history of our species. You know, it's amazing technology. But we read more than just symbols on paper. In these Western societies, they want to maximize or weaponize their power and so they want us to believe what's on these pages that they create and change whenever they want or the the images that they put in front of us on these screens or on these phones and then of course their voices and then the biggest symbol that they have one of the biggest symbols that they have is how they weaponize the image of whiteness whether they want to give it a white god you know what i'm saying or just a white man or a white woman in power all of that stuff we read deeper than that. But if we're not connected to a knowledge of ourselves, we're not connected to our, our, our understanding of our history, and we're not connected to an understanding of ourselves outside of Western civilization, fam, then they got us. We locked in. And then we wanna use their same systems, which have caused all these problems throughout the world, literally. like We got a planet that's on fire, you know what I'm saying? Because of what these people have been doing for centuries. And so, if we're relying on their systems to empower ourselves and think that we're gonna do something different and we're gonna liberate ourselves, fam, we wrong. Like this, it's clear. And this is not me saying something that's revolutionary. This is what our people have been saying for centuries. But again, if we're in their schools, we're not gonna be taught this information. We're not gonna be taught to read deeper. You know what I'm saying? And we need that. And then for for us, especially our young people who were who were in Bued with this, this innate knowledge and this understanding and this way of reading, when you throw them into these schools that are not allowing them to sharpen those skills and to trust that knowledge and that, that innate instinct inside of them and how they see and how they move, and then it's actually being criminalized in those schools, Fam, again, we setting ourselves up for failure. So I'm thankful for having a community experience That was different. And then another thing that I have to add into it too, which is a little bit different now in 2023, going into 2024, when I was coming up, hip hop was a very important cultural technology. It still is, right? But the cultural technology, and I use that term because I think it's important again, for us to redefine and to decolonize the way that we see our stuff. It's a cultural technology. This is something that our people created for ourselves. And it was an innovation on other innovations. And then again, you know what I'm saying? I know that there might be some Muslims on here. And so the word innovation for some folks is a triggering and traumatic word. Nah, fam, like decolonize your understanding of that too. But anyway, it was an innovation as in what the previous generations did, pass the baton on to the next generation. Let me see how we can take this and we can add something more to it. And they did. So for me coming up 80s, going into the 90s, the cultural technology of hip hop, was speaking to me and speaking of our history. So I had elders that were saying, fam, you need to read this. You need to know about this. You need to know about this. I was listening, but it was different when peers or folks who were a little bit older than me. Well, I'm like, they cool. They saying the same thing. They talking about Malcolm. They're talking about Mansa Musa. They're talking about Queen Nzinga. They're talking about this. They are talking about that. I'm like, dang fam, y'all saying the same thing that the OGs and the elders are saying? Well, let me let me pay attention. You feel me? And it was it was easier for me to read and to understand and to connect through verses and through bars and dope songs sometimes. And it was for me to open up a textbook or a book, but when I'm getting it from both directions, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm good. I'm good. And so the cultural technology of hip hop was also a very, very important part of my literacy and my development.
0: Oh, you, you hitting a whole lot of points. I mean, The one of the things that stuck out to me is the fact you talked about us trusting ourselves, right? Paying attention to that intuition. And that is a big part of literacy. And that makes me think about, um, I know you know about Dr. Joy DeGruy, of
1: course,
0: course, right? And um, her book, you know, post-traumatic slave syndrome. And that's one of the things that she talked about in terms of this aspect of us paying attention to that, that internal barometer, right? Mm-hmm. And that is something that the false notion of white supremacy, that ideology, that was the way, that was one of the key ways in which they were able to enslave our people was of because of the disconnection piece. They wanted mm-hmm. to uh, disconnect us, They instead of us being whole, as we know, that's from our African ancestry, our roots being holistic, Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, understanding that our soul, all of that, everything, our soul and body, our mind is all intertwined. They want to disconnect, break things up and say, okay, you know, well, no, this is separate from that. You know what I'm saying? It's, you know, and again, when you do that, it takes away from you actually being able to pay attention to yourself, trusting yourself. And just like you talked about in terms of with our kids, they're going in these schools. And when they'll say things like, I don't think my teacher like me. You know what I'm saying. The first thing, a lot of times, unfortunately, you know, we've been accustomed to in a black community. You know what you talking about? No, you just want to get out of doing your work. You know what yep. I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You're you're not valuing, you know, mm-hmm. what your child is saying because, again, just like what you talked about, reiterating that that fact of buying into this white ideology. Well, if yeah. they they said they said it, then it must be correct. They the teacher, they know everything. They got the degree. Whoop de whoop. It's like. No. Mm, no, that may not be the the case. You know what I'm saying? Having that connection, and I love the fact how you just you having that connection. What you're telling us, that connection from with your parents, your mother and your father, and then how you just dote on your mother in terms of seeing her read and all of that. Again, can you just stress that? You know what I'm saying? Importance uh, for our audience because a lot of times you know what i'm saying people don't understand especially in this society the mother you know for a while the mother's role would be diminished it would be looked at as well you know you, you you're just a mom you know especially if a mother is maybe at home with her kids or whatever oh it's not that important now people are starting to come out of that you know what i'm saying thinking now you know what i mean but please drive home for us that that importance you know what i'm saying maybe even speak to some special times you remember you know what I'm saying? In addition to what you talk about the Black Boy book, you know, yeah. that you have, yeah. yeah.
1: So it was, like, when I just think about my, my childhood and I think about my mother, almost every time I see my mom in one of my early memories, she has a book in her hand or she has a book close by her. When she slept, she always had a book on her nightstand, you know what I'm saying? Like, she, it, always always had a and she would go through two three sometimes four books in a week seven days you know what I'm saying and these are thick books I'm you know she's raising kids she's working and she you know see a wife dealing with whatever's going on in that relationship and still got time to read and so we, it wasn't like we had major conversations about it it was just a constant image so for you know all right thinking about it from the islamic standpoint there is the the i believe it's a hadith and it talks about um you know like play with the kids for seven years be their friend for seven years no no no, all right play with the kids for seven years and it's like you teach them uh, for seven years and then you befriend them for the next seven years right like that's a, a rough approximation of how you Help raise up a child in, you know, the ways of your society and the ways of the world. So in those first seven years, for me, she was modeling something which was really important, like the importance of literature. You know, she got her specific flavor and her taste in literature. I got mine. You know, so I, I like to read a lot of nonfiction. If I get into some fiction stuff. Uh, I like mystery. For me, Walter Mosley is one of my favorite authors, and that's another thing. Like I got that from my from uh, my mother. So, as you know, as an MC, you know that was part of my introduction. I love the rich use of language, especially the ability to be able to paint pictures and tell powerful stories. And so, I think that's something that she saw in me as well. And she was like, "I want you to read this author, Walter Mosley." So she introduces me to Walter Mosley, "Double in a Blue Dress, and then, you know, his whole Easy Rollins series, and it had action, it had mystery, it had adventure, and he's so colorful with language. Anytime, uh, and especially in that series, like this is me just recalling the series. Every story or every title of a book has a color in it, "Double in a Blue Dress. Think little red, little yellow dog, uh, black Betty. Um, I don't know. There's, there's a whole bunch of them. I mean, he got so many of these books. I read every one. He's so colorful in all of his descriptions as well. That stuff that just stands out to me when I see that I mean, the way that he describes the the physical stature of somebody, you know, the way that they move, the way that they talk, you know, how they smell, how the the sweat dripping. You know, what I'm saying like all that for me as somebody who just enjoys language and then it, would eventually start creating my own stuff using language that was so rich but she modeled that and then when it was necessary she would help guide me to things that she felt would be important to me and then another thing too that I also have to um give respect to like in terms of literature from my father so my mother she was into books a whole bunch of different authors my father he He was creative, you know what I'm saying? Like he would do some poetry stuff every now and then. He was a photographer. He was more creative on a a visual level. And so he introduced me to comics. So I would read comic books. And that was a great way of also like introducing literacy because, all right, somebody might be intimidated by a book that got a whole bunch of pages in it. Get them a comic. And then especially comics that are written in great ways colorful language, really powerful images, and great storytelling. Again, decolonizing our understanding of literature and literacy. In this Anglo-White, Anglo-Saxon, Protestant, white supremacist, colonial, imperial, comics are not viewed in the same way as reading a textbook, Fam. It don't matter. However, we want to get into it. Let's get into it. And then again, stepping back out of their understanding of the world, decolonizing that. When we look at historical movements, especially in our community, I, like I remember, I, I tripped out when I was taught this about, about Dr. King and like the SCLC, Southern Christian Leadership Conference. So they had a paper. They had you know stuff that they would send out. And during his time as a leader of the SCLC, they developed comic books in order to, you know, inform and empower the communities. Because like, we want to give our people access to, to literature that is telling our stories in as many different ways as possible. Going back to Marcus Garvey, Garvey and them, they had, they had their paper. The Black Panther Party had a paper. The Nation of Islam, they had a paper. Like, we can, we can look at so many different movements from our tradition and be like, our people understood the importance of being able to tell our stories in ways and make the most sense to us, to our people. And then going to another historical figure, which is really important to me, you know, especially like being in the world of education, Carter G. Woodson. So Carter G. Woodson, when he f- forms his association for the study of Negro life and history, this is like 1914, 1915. Uh, I mean, he creates so many different books that he publishes himself, textbooks, He has a journal that comes out for the the Association for the Study of Negro Life and History. And then another thing that Carter G. Woodson did, which was I think really, really powerful and important, dude was, he was a multilinguist. He spoke Spanish. Uh, I think he also spoke French. And so a lot of the work that he created He wrote it in English because this was the language of black folks here in the United States, but he would make sure that that story or those, that information was also translated into other languages because we got black folks that speak French. We got black folks that speak Spanish. We got folks who are outside of the black community that speak other languages and they need access to information that is coming from black people about black people. And so he set that example. This is in the early 1900s, you know what I'm saying? We ain't getting taught that in schools. But this is an institutional example. And then, you know what I'm saying, like these people nowadays, and this is, again, right, going back to my analysis and talking about like how much these people who are the architects of Western civilization, and that's not me talking about them in a positive light, that the people who built this thing up, which has destroyed so much of our, our world, cultures and peoples for centuries. They now, especially here in the United States, want to be talking about culturally relevant and culturally responsive, this and that, you feel me? are people been doing that? Carter G. Woodson was on that 100 years ago, fam. You know what I'm saying? And then before that, he's following the examples of Black educators that were doing that in the late 1800s, going into the mid-1800s, who were creating textbooks, who were create publishing books on their own that were speaking directly to the Black experience. We've been doing it, fam. Y'all just catching up. And But then again, because you weaponize your system, you want to give yourselves the like make y- yourselves the example of what the thing is no you're not like get out the way fam but our people are so under attack with information especially what we think is literacy and it constantly is going back to these people being the authority or the folks that we need to follow forget that forget that you know what i'm saying we got to get back to our real ways build What we need within our communities, a lot of those resources are already there, but just be more confident and step into it more and especially support our young people with being able to grow in those ways. All right, maybe they like comic books, let them read that stuff, you feel me? Put some dope content in front of them, encourage them, support them with that. Maybe they like, they wanna rhyme, you feel me? Dope, okay, support them with that, but then connect them to some real dope content that's telling them about their people. So they're gonna be empowered by that. You feel me? Like whatever it is, Let's allow that to go because comic books could be the thing that get them to want to read more somewhere else. The hip hop could be the thing that gets them to want to read more, a combination of that. You know what I'm saying? Like whatever it is that our people, our young folks are displaying is, oh, this is a path that I might want to pursue more. This is something that speaks to me more. Let's support them in that. And then use that as a stepping stone connected to these other things.
0: Exactly. And, I'm gonna say that uh, actually, it's it's obviously it's something about boys and comics because literally, Dr. Greg Carr, which I know you're familiar with him out of Howard. You familiar with him? Yeah, out of Howard University. No, I don't think oh, so. oh, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, he's That's all good. Yeah, yeah. But yeah,
1: I think so too. The name is familiar, so let me let me just. Get back into that and do some research.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doctor Greg Carr. Uh, you know, I mean, just you—you you talking about he's like a, a walking library. I mean, mm-hmm. he literally—I mean, he broke down it like the stuff you talking about as far as Doctor Carter G. Woodson, uh, because uh-huh. he had led a group of us. Um, I'm a part of this uh group called Nubia, which was started mm-hmm. by um, uh Karen Hunter. Uh, she mm-hmm. has a show on Sirius XM, and so she had Doctor Greg Carr. Start something called In Class with Car. She started that. This was during uh, the pandemic. And so he would come on and literally just talk about anything Black. You know what I'm saying? Mm. You know, whether it's a person, whether it's events, whatever it is. But the reason why I brought him up is because he talked about how he got into reading through comics. Mm. This is not the first time I've heard that. You know what I'm saying? I the, It's this one book I got called The Read Aloud Handbook, a uh, white guy, Jim Trelease. Um, he's this book actually that a lot of educators they get their information as it pertains to all the benefits of reading aloud they utilize his book he talked about that comic books you know and I'm saying you know so the fact that you're saying that you know it just speaks to that is something you know number one we ain't thinking about what folks talking about in terms of oh okay well you're you're actually literate you know when you're reading you know these thick you know texts or or texts that don't really have a lot of pictures and all of that. It's like, man, get out of here. You know, Say that. But the yeah. one thing that I definitely wanted to make a segue into is the M scene, because you definitely, when you talked about that, that right there is something mm-hmm. that, you know, we already know in the Black community, especially you hear that with a lot of young Black brothers coming up. Yeah, I want to be a rapper. I want to be, you know what I'm saying, this artist or whatever. And I'm going to say, that I remember learning from, because I listened to that book, uh, uh, Rakim, Rakim's book. I listened to Mm -hmm. that on audio. Also read the book by, uh, about Tariq Black Thought Trotter. And Mm -hmm. how he talked about um, becoming a dope MC was the foundation of that was reading, you know, Mm -hmm. being very literate because it gives you a lot of vocabulary and everything. So I wanted you to, I want to tell everybody what, you know, for those who don't know what an MC is, and you know, how did you become, you know, start getting into MC and how important reading is as it pertains to becoming a dope MC? I
1: appreciate that. Yeah, so I, I, I would say, like my understanding is is nuanced because it's I'm all I'm all about this revolutionary decolonized way of being. You know what I'm saying? So we gotta. We have an industry that is driven, again, by white folks. You have a lot of Jewish folks who are in the music industry and in the entertainment and in the entertainment industry, who are gatekeepers who put money behind certain folks, and this is more of what like the music industry looked like before streaming and you know what it is now. But still, like they're there. You can't get around these major entertainment institutions that exist those things are not about our people they've been about exploiting our people since the inception so emceeing for us like i was talking about hip-hop being an innovation it's a it's an age-old tradition you know what i'm saying so i did i did my dna through african ancestry this year and we have um I'm a lot lot of the West African folks, of course, Nigeria, but one thing that stood out was from the Cameroon, and apparently um, I have ancestry from the Bamalinke people, you know, I'm still studying and trying to get more familiar with them and who they are, but when we look at a lot of our cultures, whether we want to go all the way back into quote-unquote ancient times, and we're in Kemet, not Egypt, we're in Kemet, and then I'll add a little thing on that too about the comic piece, and then I'll come back to what we're talking about. The first language that we know of, written language, was a language that was a combination of written symbols and picture symbols. Metunetra, which these white folks like to call hieroglyphics. We don't give them credit for anything that they coin. That's a description of our people because our people spoke profoundly for themselves. And so that was a language called Metunetra. We learn, fam, through images and word symbols. But in their system, where they want to make it just be these letter symbols or these word symbols, and then like uh, try to belittle how we can read and we can understand in other ways, we set ourselves up for failure. Like, know who we are, fam. Like, we that's the first language ever that, you know, at least in recorded history. That we know because we know that our people were were the first people on the planet. And so they were the first people to to begin communicating, to begin writing things down. We might not have the archaeological evidence to support some of that stuff. But when we do, based on our knowledge right now of archaeology, the oldest language is a language that combined pictures and word symbols. Anyway, so back to West Africa and just our peoples and the oral tradition. That's where we come from. So an MC for me, when I look at that, is an extension of people who mastered the oral tradition throughout time and place in our historical tradition. So our people being stolen and trafficked across the Atlantic Ocean and then subjected to all these inhumane and the most um, evil form of forced enslavement that we've ever seen in the history of human beings, still survive that. able to speak about who we are, what we're going through in all these creative different ways and all these different languages of colonization as well, you know what I'm saying? Like it don't matter what language our people are speaking, we out there doing our thing. So using English 1600s into the 1700s, 1800s, 1900s into now, the way that we have been able to show our artistic and our creative ability with how we've been able to master this language and use it as a weapon for ourselves. So when I say I'm an MC, that's my understanding. I'm coming from that. I'm coming from all these different generations of our people who have weaponized this language for themselves, used it to tell our stories the way that we need to tell it and all the different creative ways that we've done. And then another thing right again, because these folks are never gonna give us credit for what we do, especially the power of what we do. There's no other literary art form for real, right? Like we we can let let's test it. And if I'm wrong, I'm I'm fine with being wrong. But there's no other literary art form that I am aware of that exists that you can combine or you can put so much information and data in it in a short period of time. All right. So right now we're just we're just speaking. So I'm using my regular speaking voice. But if I was rhyming. I'd be using, all right, so we had a 16-bar verse. More. There's there's more information that's going into each bar than just my regular speaking voice. And then we got some folks who they rap double time where that 16 bars actually becomes like 32 bars because you're able to say that many more words in that same space. You feel me? And then not only that, it rhymes. Not everybody rhymes the same way, but like you got these different rhyme schemes. You can have your external rhyme schemes where you A, then B. then when we get into the next bar, you got that that B, uh, the the end of that B line that's going to rhyme with the next, the end of that D line, right? Okay. So you have that, but then you got external, you got internal rhyme, you got multi-syllable rhyming that's happening. So you're employing all these different creative techniques in order to express a message but these people over here want to demonize it, this is jungle music this is whatever you for me no it's not again we don't use them as an example for anything except what not to do our people been innovating been creating been displaying genius when it comes to language and so these cats who've been rhyming and especially during that time and they're saying you know whatever you know people want to claim their errors and all of that but for sure at the time when i was coming up and really being exposed to it there was so much powerful content that was infused by a knowledge of self and not a knowledge of consumerism and a knowledge of oppression and trauma that we're being fed, that propaganda stuff. But there's still power in that too sometimes. You know what I'm saying? But anyway, like the the tradition of emceeing that I stand on is firmly rooted in a deep understanding of Blackness, Black people, African-centered understanding. And the responsibility that somebody is supposed to have if they stand up and they speak in front of their people, you know what I'm saying, which I think is very different again, going back to the way that this industry has been created, where the it's not a responsibility to speak to your people, you are it. And I'm not not trying to hate, you know what I'm saying? There's a time when we need to speak very critically and very directly to whoever we are because we have accountability. But when you put celebrity status, money and fame in front of folks and they're like, oh, I want to do this because I can get that, that's very different than what has been a historical reality. And this is my understanding of it in our people, which is the folks who are standing up to speak, you have a responsibility to give your people something not I'm going to use this because I can get something for myself. And I might be getting something by selling my people out. You know what I'm saying? So I don't come from that tradition of emceeing. I come from a tradition of emceeing, which is rooted in an understanding of who we are and has very important principles. And then not only that too, I think this is also very important. All right. Like, and I know I can be long-winded, so I'll do my best to start wrapping this part up. But if we think about a lot of the historical movements that our people have been a part of, especially 50s and the 60s, like there are so many times when you can see Malcolm being connected to artists you know, who are in our community. You'll see Dr. King, you'll see Fannie Lou Hamer connected to folks. It was, there was this connection between people who were in the political space who were also in the artistic space. And in letting them folks know, you got a responsibility to be here for your people. You know what I'm saying? Nowadays, we ain't got that. You know what I'm saying? And I think that is a problem when the athlete, the entertainer that's in this white created celebrity world ain't got no real connection to their people anymore, especially people who are really about the work. You feel me? So I'm not an MC again, in that understanding of trying to be a celebrity in a white, artificial, supremacist, racist world. Forget that, fam. I do what I do for the sake of my people. And then not only that, there are so many examples within our tradition of powerful leaders and organizers who are also gifted artists and creatives. And so they use their artistic and their creative ability to help advance the agenda of fighting for freedom and liberation of their people, they didn't do it just to become this artist for the sake of being an artist. I don't believe in that. I don't believe in that. Not in a time of revolutionary warfare when your people are being uh, attacked on a daily basis. We don't have the luxury or the privilege of saying, I'm an artist for the sake of being an artist. No, you don't fam, everybody need to fight for our people. So figure out how you can use what you got and stand up for your people at the same time. So using the example of Huey P. Newton, I mentioned him several times, he was a gifted poet. I mentioned the sister Elaine Brown. Mm -hmm. Um, She was an incredible pianist, you know what I'm saying? She played the piano in uh, a music. She released two albums on Motown. She was was given the directive by the Black Panther Party, we want you to create an album for our people, talking about the social and political realities because our people are listening to music. So let's be out there and let's speak to them in that way too. Because it was part of a revolutionary agenda. You know, the honorable uh, Louis Farrakhan, he's a violinist. I mean, we, we can, so many examples that we can point to of folks who were gifted and talented in multiple spaces, but also understood their responsibility to stand up for their people. So for me, and the way that emceeing came to me, it came to me with that understanding, and so I willed that space differently than you know some other people might do it, and it is what it is, and that's okay. It just that's just the reality of it, and I'm ill because I come from a dope tradition of emceeing in the Bay Area in California, and then just in general, you know, in our historical tradition where. I've listened to, I've read, I've studied what people have done before. And that's a part of my foundation and I've been able to take it and elevate it to the best of my ability. And it hits just like everything else that I'm saying. I hope it hits. My lyrics hit just as hard with content and ill lyricism, but with that knowledge and that understanding and those principles.
0: Wow. I mean, and and the thing is, is that I love that you are educating our people um, in the first of all, in terms of the foundation as it pertains to hip hop, because mm. as we see a lot of folks, you know, they don't know. And then when you don't know, then you can't make the proper decisions. Mm. And then the fact is that they threw money in the pot. Of course. And so That's Always obvious, back. right? That, that, that's the obvious thing. You know what I'm saying? That's why our people, what we see now today with people trying to deem as hip-hop and i mean look you know some of this stuff you know what i'm saying i'm sitting here like i don't know what you talking about you know what i mean I, i'm thinking about and i'm definitely i i'm not in no way you know a hip-hop connoisseur in the in sense or or have that understanding the roots like that but i have a little basic knowledge to know that when you hear folks just keep glorifying money calling you know women bitches and hoes and all that type of stuff and you know i mean full of misogyny just full of just materialism i'm like hmm and then i remember hearing krs1 and you know listening to folks like that or african bombada public enemy you know what i'm saying you know it's like two different you know what i'm saying they own two different ends of the spectrum you know Definitely. so and i like the fact too what you were talking about in terms of the power of connection And that's the thing that we need to get back to, driving back home. You talked about how you had the activists, just like our Malcolm X, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, we had our, you know, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. You know, they all were, uh, what's uh, our dear brother? Uh, 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 My goodness, I'm seeing his face right now. It's a Kwame, Kwame Touré, used to be Mm -hmm. Sophie Carmichael, you know, because he was married to uh, Miriam Makeba. You know what I'm saying mm-hmm. at one time, you know, but just again, like you said, that connection of the activism as well as the artistry, they understood, yep. they understood it was a holistic thing. We were all intertwined. This ain't no separate piece or whatever the case may be. It's about empowerment. It's about us mm-hmm. because we have to understand something. We are people have always been at war ever since the first African was enslaved. We've right. always been at war with these folks, whatever you want to call them. And so, you know, and this is what our people, they, they have to, you know, we have to get back to, and I just love how you are unapologetic about explaining this because you given a straight up history lesson and I'm glad that you are because our people, we need it, you know what I'm saying? And people who like myself, who don't know a lot of this stuff, you know what I'm saying? It's like, we feel starved. So it's like, you know, you are giving us that nutrition because we've been malnourished. You know what I'm saying so I definitely you. appreciate you really for real for real. And what I want to do is segue into now your book. What tell us about, you know, when you came up, you know what I'm saying, with the idea of starting black boy poems. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how how is this, you know, cuz I, I I like kind of like skim through, you know, and I see of course you got some poetry, you know what I'm saying obviously got poems and stuff and through there what was your idea in terms of shaping this
1: book when did that come about appreciate it yeah so 2015 beginning of 2015 I was revisiting a lot of books that were very influential for me earlier in my life like 17 18 19 I just went crazy off of a lot of the political literature that I had been exposed to as a kid and I was like I just need to go deeper and deeper and deeper into that and this wasn't part of any coursework this was just This was life. And then, you know, again, like the community that I come from, there were certain works that were standard for us to to learn and to, you know, have a deep understanding of. So I was revisiting a lot of those books in 2015. And then one of the books that I picked back up again was Black Boy by Richard Wright. And prior to this time, so this is, I'm, I'm in my 30s at the time. And I never, never at any point in time in my life was like, I want to be an author. Never thought about that. You know what I'm saying? Like, where where do we see that in our communities? You know what I'm saying? It's not uh, as common as somebody being a football player, a basketball player, or, or, you know, being some celebrity, some other way, an actor, actress, musician. Those are things that are more common as in images that we're being exposed to. But of course, we got a whole bunch of Black authors. We do. It just ain't pumped the same way but anyway i had never thought about that but after reading rereading black boy again in 2015 that was the first time in my life and this is i was 35 at the time it was the first time that i ever ever felt compelled to want to write something of my own you know what i'm saying like i put out multiple albums dope mc uh multiple verses, spoken word stuff. Of course, I got these thoughts, you know what I'm saying? I've been teaching for a number of years at at that time, but never had I thought about putting together a a work of my own. And so Richard Wright hit me. He's like, bro, you need to do it. And instantly, I knew everything that I was going to do. I knew it. I knew that the book, I knew how the book was going to look. So if you don't mind, hold the book up one more time. So the reason why the cover looks like this is because, as I was coming up, a lot of the political and revolutionary work that I was exposed to that came from the 60s and the 70s, those are the types of covers that they had. They were very strong, like the contrast between the color and the text that um, was the, the title. Like I used George Jackson's work as reference. So, "Solidad Brother, Blood in My Eye, like the the copies that I saw from that. Some of the other political literature from, again, like late 60s, early 70s, I'm like, dang, I want to give it that same feel, but I want to make it hit for the 21st century, right? So, you know, I'm just inspired by my past and inspired by those who inspired me. And then because of Richard Wright's work, so I talked about my father's family, my mother, her family's from Mississippi, so we're multiple generations in Mississippi. Richard Wright is also from Mississippi. So there's a strong Mississippi connection for me and my family with Richard Wright and his work. That book is just it's everything that my mother told me when I was a teenager, like what it would be for me and the power of his pen, how unapologetic he was about speaking about the realities that he saw, especially the power of our people, the the how should I say, it? The, the inhumanity of this system that we're being exposed to, I do. I mean, his pen is legendary. So I was like, yeah, I got it. I can do it. But to do it for the 21st century is going to require the cultural technology of hip hop. Richard Wright didn't have that in his day and time. He's writing in the 1930s, 1940s. didn't have hip-hop like what we got and i'm somebody who is really a dope practitioner of that tradition so a similar historical understanding social cultural and political understanding of richard wright but i'm a practitioner of hip-hop as well and i'm also a beneficiary of some of what richard wright helped put into into movement because of his literary work and the political movements of the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, moving into the 80s and you know the latter part of the 20th century. So I'm like, I can write something, which in a sense is like an update to what Richard Wright was speaking about in his day and time. For our day and time, I can bring in the cultural technology of hip hop and I can put together what I think is a very important revolutionary message for the people. Although I've never written a book before, again, This goes back to like my understanding of an MC. I'm not an MC for the sake of MC, and I'm not an artist for the sake of being an artist. I'm a freedom fighter because that's the tradition that I come from. That's the original tradition of black people in the Western hemisphere since the first brother or sister was forcibly stolen and enslaved on the African continent. That's when that tradition was born. Before we was ever celebrities over here in the Western context, our first tradition is righteous rebellion, revolutionary freedom fighting and liberation seeking. I come from that. So of course that's going to be in the in the text. I'm gonna use my hip hop, I'm gonna use my poetry, I'm gonna use my lyrical skills to do that. And then I'm gonna bring in the contemporary analysis to support that even more. And I'm gonna create something just like what our people have been doing. We've been constantly innovating. The way that black boy poems looks as a book it don't look like anything I've ever seen before in my life. And it wasn't like I was, I need to make something original. I just, this is what I have inside of me. This is what I have to give to the people. And it's going to look a certain way as a result of that. So the book has an introduction, an extended introduction, which goes a little bit into my background. And then I define some terms. And then I speak to some other things that are important for understanding the text. It has 16 main chapters. Every chapter has the same three elements. It begins with one of my my original pieces so either verses from songs straight ahead spoken word pieces because it's important to start the conversation especially in the 21st century by using the cultural technology of hip-hop especially for young folks they need to get them bars first you know what i'm saying they need to know like yeah your boy is real with it so then give me some more of your attention so i hit them with the bars first and then thinking strategically i'm like All right. Some people, when they read it, they ain't going to be able to read it with the proper cadence. So I recorded videos for every poem that's in the book. That's on YouTube. And then that's me thinking about the curriculum piece, because I'm like, people need to be able to get it however they need to get it. You know what I'm saying? And for the original intention and the presentation to also be presented. All right. So that's there. So it starts with that. Then after the original composition, it's followed by a short reflection piece, which I call Reflections from a Black Boy, or Reflections of a Black Boy. I think it's called Reflections of a Black Boy. And then after that, it's followed by an essay. And the essay goes deeper into the social, political, commentary, historical analysis, and critique. So every chapter has those three pieces. Literary or lyrical composition, short reflection, essay. So chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, chapter four, chapter five. So you get 16 chapters like that. Then you have a conclusion and then you have a bibliography because I'm I'm spitting knowledge and information. And if you don't know where the information is coming from, there's a bibliography so you can reference everything that I talked about in there. And then I learned a lot in the process because I would never done that before. I had some homies who had written books and so I contacted them and they're like, bro, do this, do this, do this right on. Thank you for that, for that knowledge, and information. I followed their, um, their advice. But, um, I had some stuff that I quoted in there. Like I quoted something from Dr. King. I quoted from Nina Simone. I talked about Mississippi. So, you know, her song Mississippi Goddamn" Uh, cause I talk about like my family being from Mississippi and how Mississippi was the most violent state for black people prior to the civil war. And we can, you know, arguably, we can say that it continues to this day, but anyway, um, like I didn't know how to do that. And so I learned how to get permissions for my work and everything that's in the book. I got permissions for, I own that work. It's all on my own imprint. Like, and that's another thing that comes from Bay area culture. When we do stuff, we do stuff and we create it and we own it. You know what I'm saying? Like we ain't relying on anybody else to do it for us. Cause that's not how you get free as a people. So that's mine. That's my copyright. That's my intellectual property. And then everything else that I've published since then same thing. But anyway, Black Boy Poems is a very, very important work inspired by our history, which is how we always are supposed to be. Those are the roots of who we are. And I took it and I was able to see, and this is, you know, Allah gave it to me, the vision, time, community, like everything that was poured into me, I was able to be like, oh, I got this. I got something to give to my people. And here it is. And like, that's not it. There's more. There's more. And this is where again, like that, the critique of the industry and how the industry wants to treat black celebrity, like you're removed from your people, you do this and, and that's that. Like I knew not, This this is the start of being able to do more with my people. And this is why I have an education consultancy firm. This is why my education consultancy firm is in multiple school districts and there's multiple communities where young people Parents, whoever else is all getting access to this type of content, being involved in programming. Like we just we just pushing it more and more. Because again, like we ain't gonna win in their system, fam. All right, say we get a hundred black billionaires through their system. What's that gonna do for us as a people? I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Especially if them people ain't conscious or aware of what they need to be doing to give back to our people, how they need to be working with our people. We need to build it different, man. And so we out here, we in the community, we with the folks, we're inspiring the folk, we working with the folk, and we do this every single day. But that's Black Boy Poems. So Black Boy Poems is it's just an outgrowth from everything that was in my, my music, like we still make music, but everything that was in my albums and spoken word stuff that I did before, I was just able to take that, package it in a different way, put it in this book. Add some more analysis to it through those essays and those reflections and give it to the people. And it's been it's been powerful for real. I mean, I got so many young people who come up to me and they'll be like, bro, I read your book. I don't even like to read, but I read your book like I read every word in your book. You know what I'm saying? And that's another thing when we're talking about literacy and the importance of it, we need to to create and expose our folks to things that especially are coming from us because they're going to see themselves in it and they'll see themselves differently and that can inspire them to want to do more.
0: Exactly, you you touched of course on so many different things and uh, I'm gonna start with the last point you said in terms of our youth need to be reading about more things that relates to their lived experiences, right? And it reminds me of something that I read, um, Dr. Alfred Tatum. He is someone, you you familiar with him? Okay. Yeah. so Yeah, so he's an educator and he's written books about basically, uh, you know, literacy and getting in particular our black boys in the literacy. And that's one of the things that he talked about in terms of stressing, bringing home that fact of the lived experiences. This is, these are the things in which our youth need to see in their face. You know, they Mm -hmm. need to have that uh, because a lot of times, you know, again, in these schools, when you got folks saying, well, this is the standard, you know, this is what you should be reading, you know, and it's like, yeah, okay. okay, Yeah. But these people you talking about, they, not only don't they look like me, they're talking about stuff that I can't hardly relate to. And then a lot of times it'd be boring as heck. (laughs) It's like no kind of interest, you know what I'm saying at all. And it's like, Mm -hmm. but I'm supposed to read this and then you gonna test me on it too, and I and so a lot of times our, they check out, and especially a lot of times with the boys, you know what I'm saying. So it's like, and so what I I, I need, I mean we we can you know definitely, man. This conversation, I, I love this by the way. I, I I'm like I just feel you know so like privileged right now, just so you know, because these are the conversations that I love to have with our people, and a lot of times it be hard to like literally like go there, like, you know, with, you know, some black folks, you could talk about certain things, you know, yeah, we need to have more culturally relevant, you know, material. And, you know, we need to have more, you know, black characters and black. And it's like, yeah, that's the surface though, because we'll see, yeah, we may have more black characters, you know what I'm saying? Now in books, but sometimes it's still like you have the black characters, but it's still that, uh, what is it? The, the white, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. This, you know, just yeah. like, what france fanon's book what is it Um, uh, uh what is it black, skin, black is it white man. mask yeah exactly yeah. black face you know mm-hmm. yeah black skin yeah right black skin white masks right you know what i'm saying so that is something that we're dealing with constantly it's like yeah just because we see something black just like our folks say just because they're your skin folk don't mean they're your kin folk you know black don't face. mean that they got that same consciousness you know what i mean so but my question for you to, to to you know bring everything start bringing everything to a close is how do we change this trajectory that we have in the black community because you know quite frankly I mean you are like you you don't have a lot of black folks who have that foundation that you got you know I mean you got some who you know what I'm saying who had just like even with myself personally I didn't I wasn't raised on this foundation. You know what I'm saying that you were raised on. Quite frankly, I wasn't even raised in a house where there where literacy was even like something that was promoted. I didn't grow up totally opposite. You said you grew up with your mother seeing her reading. This is of course no knock on my mother. I'm just just keeping it real. You know what I'm saying? I didn't grow up seeing her. You know, reading books. She she only time I remember seeing her read was when she was in college and she was getting her associate's degree. And I remember she had to study. And then I would see my dad reading the newspaper but I grew up TV that, you know what I'm saying, period. So my question, how do we get the community to be on board, at least to understand the importance of of literacy and how do we like get our, our youth, you know what I'm saying, into reading? Because you know, it's I mean, you you already know the high levels of illiteracy. You know, you see the statistics only about 10 percent of our black children. And if black boys, you know what I'm saying, it's less in terms of being reading proficient. I'm sick and tired of these doggone statistics. So what by can any- we do to, to, to change this?
1: It's by any means necessary. Seriously. So, I mean, the reality, there, there are certain things from from my vantage point. The reality is this. The majority of our students, our young people, are still going to schools that are part of the, the system and this institution that have caused these problems in the first place. So, again, in us thinking that these systems and these institutions are going to shift without us doing something, don't make no sense, man. It's going to keep producing the same thing that it has produced because that's the way that it's designed. It's just the reality of the situation. So, if we are not doing something different, as in black folks who care about our black kids, then we ain't gonna get a different result. You know what I'm saying? So by any means necessary, if we're seeing our young people showing an interest in literature through comics, through video games, through music, through whatever, we need to find a way to support them. If as parents, guardians, and caregivers, we don't have that time or that ability, then in our community, by any means necessary, then we need to be connected with other folks in the community who have that time, who have that ability, who have those resources to be able to support our people more. And then some of us, fam, we just need to take more accountability. Like we we need to be, all right, using Comrade George Jackson. Uh, I may have said this in the podcast with Sabria as well. He said, And George Jackson, political prisoner, he was assassinated at San Quentin uh, State Prison in the Bay Area. He was the field marshal of the Black Panther Party. He said, I now know that the most damaging thing a people in a colonial situation can do is to allow their children to attend any educational facility organized by the dominant enemy culture. I'll say it again. I now know that the most damaging thing a people in a colonial situation can do is to allow their children to attend any educational facility organized by the dominant enemy culture. That's the reality for the majority of black families here in the United States. You know what I'm saying we don't even understand the fact that we're in a colonial situation. We don't understand the fact that we're sending our kids to schools that are organized by a dominant enemy culture. This is an enemy culture. Like we afraid to say that we, we be in spaces and and black folks when they want to say white people, they want to whisper, oh white people, then what? What what are we doing? You know what I'm saying? We don't know what, what's going on. You know and so I I thought another thing. I put this, I put that quote in my book, Black Boy Poems. i put this other quote from Sun Tzu in, in uh, the book as well, because I think this is important. Sun Tzu in the Art of War, he talked about. Um Uh, A people, and this is me paraphrasing now, people who know themselves and they know their enemy, they'll be successful in every battle. If you know your enemy, but you don't know yourself, you'll win one and you'll lose one. If you don't know your enemy, you don't know yourself, you're destined to lose every single time. We don't know what we up against and we don't even know ourselves, fam. And then again, like we have been tricked. We have been propagandized into believing that these people are the authorities, that they know what's best for us. Us and they know what's best for the world, and then we blindly are putting our kids into their spaces and thinking that they're going to be treated right. No, they're not. So by any means necessary, we have to take more accountability as a people. Every single individual that's listening, there's something more that you can do in order to fight for black people and to fight for black kids. And, and if you have limitations on that, that's all right. Then that limitation doesn't have to define us. Then we need to be connected with somebody who can expand on that limitation and make that a strength, all right? So there are things that we can do more in our community. Part of that, representation is important. Exposure is important. Black Boy Poems is a very important text. There are other important texts that have been created by Black authors, Black, you know what I'm saying? And then us just also decolonizing that An author for author's sake. No, fam, you gotta be connected to your people and really be about our people. Because it's wartime, it's been that. We didn't ask for it the war is at our footsteps, it's at our doorstep every single day. So we got to know how to respond. So there are institutions that we can build. Uh, we, There are, of course, resources and books that we need to have our young people exposed to. We need to support them more in whatever ways that they're demonstrating their um, inclination to a specific type of literacy. There are things that we need to Do more within our own community to connect with other people who can support us where we know that we have a deficiency or we have a limitation, right? And then we need to have our own schools. That's not something that's going to happen right now, but that's work that we need to be doing to make that a reality in the near future. Part of why I have an education consultancy firm is that I know that we need to have our own schools. We ain't going to be able to build those schools right now. So what needs to happen right now for the students that are in those schools We need to occupy space in those schools as much as possible to be able to protect Black kids now. And so that's another thing. There need to be more folks who have education consultancy firms, who have programs and are going into the schools who can see Black kids in them schools, who can make those teachers and those staff members treat those Black kids differently, who can change policy in those spaces right now. So the experience that Black kids are having right now is different because we don't have them schools. We had more schools back in the day. We don't have those schools now. In some places, we might have more, you feel me? But the majority of our kids are in schools organized by dominant enemy culture. We need to be in there and infiltrate so we can protect our kids. You know what I'm saying? And then we need to be building up more of the resources within our communities. And then each community looks different. So you feel like in Cleveland, let's go. Let me pull up. You feel me? You already got people who are doing dope work on the on the ground. Some of that stuff needs to be amplified more. I'm not saying I'm gonna be the magic piece in that, but how can we amplify that work more? What are some things that we can do more of? All right, cool, let's figure that out. In Chicago, let's do the same thing. In Philly, let's do the same thing. In Atlanta, let's do the same thing. In Houston, let's do the same thing wherever our people are at. You know what I'm saying? And let's make that happen. And let's be creative and let's be bold, fam. But don't allow these people who have created these problems for for us to think that they gonna do different to solve these problems in our community, that's just, it's so ridiculous. And that is not what a free people do. And that's what we want, we wanna be free. So we need to control our own, we need to be self-determining and we need to build our own and we need to take this responsibility on for ourselves they're not going to do it they are perfectly fine with the situation being exactly how it is so there's a lot that we can do you know what i'm saying and that's part of what we do like that's why we have curriculum we got books that we create we got programs that we do we're building these things as an example you know what i'm saying as to what should be happening in other places again it's not like we're doing the revolutionary work and we're the best at it it's not that we're dope at what we do we're following the blueprint that has been uh, given to us by folks in our community before us. That's all we're doing. We're carrying on the tradition.
0: I'm I'm gonna say this right now. This is what Carlos Latimer, shout out to him, the executive director of the East Cleveland Public Library. I told you I was gonna talk to him and I did about having you come here. I sent Mm -hmm. him the links and the two things that he said to describe you. He said, he is powerful. And impressive. Hmm. And I totally concur with him. I mean, you know, and and again, it's it's you're sincere. You know what I'm saying. You know, I I, I hear it in your voice. You know, I I'm I'm just listening to you and watching your demeanor. I mean, just everything is just the love that you have. You know, obviously for yourself, which is an extension of what your parents what they have put inside of you which is a love for our people. And I hope that people are really, really getting that and understanding that right there. That's the foundation. This is mm-hmm. the foundation as it pertains to us changing this trajectory, getting rid of this high levels of illiteracy that plague our communities and no one getting dang on well, that's not what we come from. We don't come mm-hmm. from that. We literally, you know, we I know we hear all the time, we come from greatness, but it's the truth. Mm-hmm. It's the truth. We come from greatness, mm-hmm. and it we is- we and we have to assume, you know what I'm saying we we have to assume that position again. We have to get back to that. But like you said, in terms of the knowledge of self, the power of connection, you said that a lot. That was a recurring theme. You know what I'm saying, understanding who we are, the power of connection, being unapologetic about calling out what this crap is because we still operate in that scaredy cat space you know i'm always you know what i'm saying i'm always constantly even with within my own self you know i'm asking a lot to purify my intentions remove the the scaredy catness away from me remove that that fear you know what i'm mm-hmm. saying and and walk unapologetically of course strategically you know what i'm saying definitely you know what i'm saying but unapologetically making it clear you know what it is, you know, that we need to be doing and having our lane, you know, and I'm saying just like I like how you talked about in terms of meeting the kids where they are, you know, they into the gaming, you know what I'm saying they they're into, you know, and I'm saying the videos making the TikTok, out whatever it is, you know, being able to connect them to the things that are positive and that are uplifting. That's going mm-hmm. to make them want to learn about themselves, which will make them, you know, inshallah, God willing, eventually get to the point where they are reading more, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, so it's, I can, like I said, I can go on and on, man. It's, this this conversation has been absolutely phenomenal, dope on so many levels, amazing. I want to end with just a couple of things. One thing I want to ask you in, in terms of the question. And then also after that, I want you to uh, let us know, you know, where people can find you and also you're about your curriculum. But before that, what book or books are you currently reading now?
1: Uh, all right, let me see. I just, I, I finished. So one of my homies, his name is Malik Wade. And he has an autobiography that he put out around the same time that I put out Black Boy Poems. So he's 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 from the city. He's from San Francisco. His book is entitled Pressure. And I read it years ago. And um, I just found that he had an audio book for it. So I was like, oh, bro, I didn't even know that. You feel me? So I, I hopped on that just to listen to it. And so I finished Pressure recently. Let me see. What else do I have that I'm in right now? Oh, yeah, yeah. i <laughs> It's going to sound like real Bay Area-centric, but the homie um, Andre Ward, who was uh, one of the dopest boxers of this modern generation, he put out an autobiography. It's called Killing the Image. I'm listening to that right now. It was an audio book. Let me see. What else? What else was I in recently? for uh you know because we we like we're really in the schools a lot so i i listened to to kill a mockingbird because that's in the curriculum for a lot of the students it's a horrible test i'm saying these white folks love this book the book is so horrible i'll just give some stats on it why i'm saying it's horrible again we send our kids to schools that are organized by the dominant enemy culture and so for many people, I think, but I like that book. I like that book. It's celebrated in U.S. culture is one of the, I think it's celebrated as like the best book that was produced in the context of the United States. Like this is maybe from the Pulitzer. Like they did some survey within the past couple of years and To Kill a Mockingbird came out as number one. The N-word is used 48 times in that book. Right. And every time it's used, it's used in a demeaning way towards black folks. It's only used by black folks two times. And again, used in demeaning ways. Every single black character in that book is a superficial, stereotypical representation of black folks. The author Harper Lee, these people love Harper Lee. You know what I'm saying? In many ways, she was writing a book to talk about the Scottsboro boys. And what had happened in Alabama years before that. And just tell the story to Scottsboro boys. Like, we don't, we didn't need your Confederate recreation, which dehumanizes Black people every time they're presented in this book. People want to teach this book in schools to Black kids and to all kids. You feel me? So, like, I'll be quick on this. Like, one of the classes that I worked with on this recently. The kids were like, "Why are we got? Why are we got to read this book?" I'm like, "Shoot, I feel you shouldn't be reading this book. This this should not be mandated in your curriculum, but it is. Teachers are not equipped with skills to be able to teach that and and minimize the harm and the trauma that can be caused through a work like this. And so, when I'm talking to these kids, that are in ninth grade. I'm like, part of the reason why this book is so problematic for y'all. So this is in California. So the the standards, the con, the the California content standards." are different, you know, state standards are different across the country. In California, in the first time that Black people are introduced using their language as slaves is in fifth grade. The first time that Black people get introduced as a community referred to as Black happens in eighth grade, and that's like later in the year. The first time Black people get introduced as African Americans in the California Content Standards and Social Studies is in 11th grade again at the end of the year, so you're introduced to Black people as slaves before you're introduced to them as Black people, and you know a term that we gave ourselves, and then African American people use that term. You know that comes much later. So I'm like, y'all are not taught about Black people in your school curriculum from pre-K to ninth grade. You barely get taught about Black folks in eighth grade if your teacher gets to that part of the curriculum. You know what I'm saying? So, if this is one of your first real exposures to Black people being in a text and this is what you're being presented, you're being misinformed, fam. You're being lied to. Because this did not come from Black folks, this is not how Black folks see themselves. But this is how you're being taught to see Black people in a text. And they read in the N-word out loud and all that. I mean, it's so problematic. So I mean, that's another reason why that's in there. I don't know. There's probably some other stuff that I've been reading. But I, I, I stay in a, a couple of different books, like The Hundred Years' War on Palestine, Rashid Khalidi. Uh, Khalidi. Um, I started that text too recently. Um, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of stuff that I'm being in the middle of.
0: Yeah, that, that right there. You, you, it's funny. You sound like me. It's like I, I have books that I, I started and then it's another book that I'm like, you know, just finished and everything like that. It's why, And I thank you for breaking that down in terms of To Kill a Mockingbird. And it's like, mm-hmm. I never thought about it in that way. I mean, I read it because obviously we all, pretty much all of us had to read it. You know what I'm saying? Well, we was eighth grade, ninth grade, whatever. You know what I'm saying? We knew we had to read it. You know, and it's like, but the way you broke that down, I'm like, man, y'all, I hope, listen, y'all already know what it is. Y'all can rewind, make sure you had your notebooks and your pens because Brother Tyson has been bringing it y'all. And this is what Real Reading Talk is all about. And what I want you to do to end us um with this dope conversation that we can go on and on. Um, And I hope, to, and I'm definitely, again, like I said, we gonna talk because, you know, we definitely got plans to have you come to ec inshallah so with that being said please tell everybody where they can find you at and also purchase because you know we all about making sure that we build up our home libraries with books like this Mm -hmm. all right and the curriculum as well so give everybody that information
1: i got you so the easiest thing right i I sent you a link in the chat right now just give people access to that so okay. FSMEI, so my, my uh, education consultancy firm is entitled Freedom Soul Media Education Initiatives. Freedom, because our people have been fighting for their freedom for centuries. Let's not forget who we are. Mm-hmm. So Freedom Soul Media Education Initiatives, F-S-M-E-I dot O-R-G. You go there, you're going to find everything. There's a link that I shared with the sister, share that with the folks, you feel me? And it was the same link that I gave to Sister Sabria For the podcast, there. And I got a lot of resources there because, I mean, if folks want to support my book, that's great. I've sold thousands and thousands of copies of the book. If y'all want the book, just ask me for the book and I'll send you the book. It's easy. Like I said, I own that. That's me. So if y'all want a book or you want multiple copies of the book, just hit me and I'll send you copies of the book. Did I not do that for you, sister? And you ordered it, and I was like, why'd you even order it, you feel me? It just hit me out of sensitivity. So yeah, for real, just hit me. Because by any means necessary, fam, like if if we really about what we about, then it should show in the way that we move. I'm not out here, like I said, I've sold enough copies of this book. Let me give it to the community if the community needs the book. And that's what I've been doing since the book came out on October 15th, 2016, on the 50th anniversary of the Black Panther Party. So yeah, if you want to follow me on social media, You just search Tyson Amir on anything. I'm on YouTube there. I got a dope YouTube channel where we put a lot of great content on. I strongly recommend you go in there. Instagram. Tyson Amir, if you do that, you're going to find me there. You'll find my company, Freedom Soul Media, there, too. We got a lot of great content that we put out, and we're not content creators in this social media sense, fam. we content creators for freedom and liberation of our people. It's real always. And you know what I'm saying? And we have fun, too, because we love our people. You feel me? they ain't always just, like, serious and whatever, but we know what our mission is, and we about fulfilling our mission you know what I'm saying to the best of our ability but I'm serious y'all like it might sound strange to hear somebody say if you want the book just hit me and I'm gonna send you the book that's my word because money should not be the obstacle that gets in the way of our young people or somebody in the community having access to a resource that they need and trust I'm getting money from other places you feel me? We we in these school districts. We get contracts for these school districts. We get donations from the community, so we can easily make sure that it's paid for some other way. So don't feel bad about that. Just let me know. Hit me directly for real, and I'll send you some books.
0: Wow. Well, brother, I I definitely once again I can't thank you enough. I appreciate you. The community absolutely appreciates you. Uh, When, when everybody uh, is able to listen to this podcast, I know, I guarantee folks are going to just be like blown away and just, you know, just very, feel refreshed, you know what I'm saying? and feel like, you know, this is what we need. At least the people that's in the spaces that I rock in, you know what I'm saying? So once again, yes, I want to say thank you, brother Tyson Amir. You are phenomenal. You keep doing what you do. I appreciate the conversation. And I want to, again, thank everybody for listening to another episode of Real Reading Talk. And Real Reading Talk, again, is the place in which we discuss the real systemic issues that are at the very core, the very foundation, as to why there are low levels of literacy in the Black community, but the ways in which we can combat these issues together. Again, I am your host, Ms. Sasha. I thank you all for listening. Please make sure you keep reading for at least 30 minutes a day. And remember, reading is freedom. Peace. What can I say, y'all? I mean, did he bring it? I mean, I expected him to bring it, but he like brought it, brought it. I mean, the history, you know, just breaking down. I mean, even just, you know, where he's from, you know, talking about San Jose and the, you know, all of the the stuff that we're using, the Google and all that, how that's out there. And, and I, I'm just like, I appreciated all of that. And and it really, for me, it was definitely a great experience because of the fact, him being a black man, all right? And that's very important. That's extremely important. We need to see more of our black brothers in the community who is about their life, about their work, empowering our communities, very well read, uh, you know, very humble brother, but confident as well. You know, so all of that encapsulates that brother and I truly appreciate him again joining me on the episode of Real Reading Talk and I hope that you all were taking notes. All right. So with that being said, now it's time for for some housekeeping. Uh, Just want to remind you guys, if you all are looking for a reading tutor for your pre-K through fourth grade baby, uh, if you're looking for someone... Uh, who can help your child if they have been diagnosed with dyslexia. I am a certified dyslexia tutor. Um, If your child is is dealing with fluency issues, comprehension, uh, just those foundational skills that are needed to help your child get a great start as it pertains to them becoming successful in reading, please reach out to me by going to abclearntutoring.com and click on that free reading assessment today. Don't be waiting to the end of the school year. All right, get on that now. Also, I'm the founder and executive director of ABC Read. ABC Read, our mission is to to develop and nurture a culture of literacy in Black and underserved communities. And we've been doing that since 2014. We're coming up on our 10-year anniversary, all right? And our goal for 2024 is to distribute a total of 10,000 books. So far, we have met half of that goal. So we've given away uh, close to about, uh, six thousand books, so about five thousand five hundred and something, you know, odd books, uh, thus far, and in counting, right? And I'm talking about books, just like I, you know, like to show you all examples. So this is an example, and this is the brother's book that I interviewed. All right, Black Boy poems written by our dear brother Tyson Amir. So these are the kinds of books that we give to the community, all right? So they are either new or gently used. And the majority of them, they represent Black people, Black culture, Black experiences, Black traditions, written by Black folks, illustrated by Black folks, all on purpose. We also make sure that we have dope dynamic reading events. um, And we focus on making sure that we are uh, giving uh, healthy foods to our communities as well. Please go to abcread.org so you can see all of that. And yes, we do accept donations. Thank you so much for that. And also, I have a YouTube channel called Reading is Freedom. Please make sure that you like, subscribe, share, comment on that YouTube channel. It has a plethora of read-alouds that is great for the whole family. We need to make sure that our kids are being read aloud, to. All right, it's very beneficial. So you can actually uh, go and make sure that happens by going to my YouTube channel, Reading Is Freedom. All right, and of course, Real Reading Talk. Make sure that you are uh, following me on Spotify as well, Real Reading Talk, okay? And bam, Reading Is Freedom, the merch, all right? Y'all know, uh, for those of you who don't know, I came up with the brand Reading Is Freedom. Actually in 2019, I came up with that, that name, Reading Is Freedom, and then I decided uh, this year, I said, you know what? I'm gonna trademark Reading Is Freedom, all right? So it's in the trademark pending phase right now, okay? So prayerfully, that'll everything will be cool, go through, and then you're gonna be seeing this merch with that trademark symbol, right? So uh, please go to readingisfreedom.store and go ahead and pick you up either a shirt, get you a hoodie, a sweatshirt, get you a mug, get you a tote bag, okay? So that you can be styling and profiling while you are promoting this dynamic message of reading is freedom. And then I'm gonna end on two more notes. Uh, The first one is just letting you all know the book, that I just finished reading, which is called Lucky Me, written by Rich Paul. He is Cleveland's own Rich Paul, grew up in the St. Clair area, which is not far from where I live right now. That brother has a dynamic story. Oh my goodness, I'm actually gonna do a book review on his book, totally awesome. Uh, Please make sure that you check out that book, all right? And shout out to my girl, Ebony Donley, who's been a guest on my show plenty of times. She was the one who reminded me about getting that book. I had saw it and I remember I said I wanted to get it, but then she had put a a, a little plug in my ear. She was like, oh yeah, you need to get that book. I read it, it is phenomenal. And so I said, oh, let me go, let me get some copies now. And so I read that book. I'm like, oh my gosh, that brother's bad. So yes, and... I want to leave you all uh, with a quote, all right? And the quote I'm going to leave you guys with is a quote from, uh, I think it was, I believe it was from Huey P. Newton. And it made me, I thought about him because uh, Brother Tyson hadn't talked about him. Um, Of course, you know, Huey P. Newton being from uh, California, the Bay Area as well, just like our brother Tyson Amir And uh, one of the quotes that he had said was that uh, the revolution um, has always started with the young. Okay, so the young is who starts the revolution. All right. So always remember that. Keep making sure that you are empowering your babies, your children. As long as when when they get old enough to understand, you know what I'm saying, certain things, you make sure that you feed them and you feed them so that they can be empowered so that they don't be, you know, coming up on things all late. We want them to be empowered young, all right? That's when the revolution, they always start with the young. That's what our dear brother Huey P. Newton said. And remember, reading is linked to our liberation, to our revolution, all right? All right, so here we go, and that's it. I thank you all again for listening to another episode of Real Reading Talk. My name is Missation. This was episode 21, season three. Make sure you please keep reading for at least 30 minutes a day. And remember, reading is freedom. Peace.